Hoody ho! Hey guys, we are back for episode 17. Uh, this is good. I like this episode. This is about addiction. Uh, um, I don't want to talk too much about this because uh, I don't want to take away from her story. Uh, I asked Jess to do this. She said yes instantly through a text. Uh, she didn't really think about it. It was great. Um, and this is just one of the issues that means something to me, even though it's something I've never really experienced. You know, I've been around, you know, holding people's joints and just been been in the car with people smoking weed and been around cocaine and, and meth and so on, but never, uh, never partaked in it. And that that's okay. Um, I'm good, but I've always, you know, had an open mind to what people are going through, of course. And, you know, everyone complains about how, you know, we need better this and, you know, not enough good people in this area and that area. Well, in order to do that, we need to address issues such as addiction, mental health, you know, racial issues and all that. If we don't address this, you know, and, you know, all the disability issues and all that, we don't address this type of thing, these type of things, then we're never going to fix the people. We're never going to get better people in these areas. Um, there's so many bigger issues and there's just so many distractions to take us away from them. And we need bigger conversation. We need more people to address this stuff, but not, not in, a, in a combative way to where we're just ripping each other's throats out. We need to try to understand each other on the opposite sides. Um and that's what I've always tried to get across, and that's why I, I continue to try to surround myself with good people and a different, um, just different types of people, no matter what they look like or what they've been through. Um, we have to have an open mind. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I used to get asked all the time, you know, was I high because my eyes were red? Um, or people would ask me, hey, you know, you want some pills, you want some weed, you want this, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm good, and there was a guy in uh, Franklin Mills Mall, I guess they call it Family Mills now, or some, some horse shit, and, um, you know, I was leaving, and he was just like, hey, uh, you know, can I get some weed? I'm like, no, man, I've never smoked. He's like, come on, look at your eyes, come on, I know you got some. I'm like, dude, I've never smoked, I don't want any, I'm good, blah, 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 but he was very, very adamant about me having it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, again, like I, like I said on episode 16, I've never done anything. Um, I just was a very pussy-like kid. I just was afraid to do anything. And, you know, I don't know. I just didn't, I you know, I didn't, I was just afraid to do anything. So I just said, no, I'm good. Um, I didn't feel the need to do it. I'm trying to think. I don't even, nah, I didn't even pretend like I was into it. I just was like, no, I'm good. Um... And it's like, you know, I, I've seen how drugs, you know, I've seen people die from it. Um, I've, I've seen, I know people that that has it affected. And, you know, and this isn't to just say like, oh, hey, guys, don't smoke weed or whatever. No, like there's, you know, weed does help people. Um, alcohol helps people. It's just, you know, in moderation. And, you know, it's, it's key. So I want to do this episode just, to, for the people that need, you know, any help, but maybe even if it's not addiction, but something else that they're, you know, or something, maybe it's not, you know, drugs, maybe they're addicted to alcohol, maybe they're addicted to 
um, anything, sex, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever. There's people that are addicted to eating rocks. So, and I'm not kidding. So, you know, who knows what some words could do. I know, Bullet, you're addicted to kitty snacks, right? You have a problem, don't you? Yeah. See, he said yes. Um, see, you're, you're just, you're a good podcast partner. Yeah. Oh, now he's going to drink water out of his fountain. Anywho, guys, um, but I remember seeing, like, in, in Philadelphia, we have this area called Kensington Ave, and it's just, this, I mean, I don't, I, mean, I haven't been there in over five and a half years, so maybe it's gotten better, but probably not. Um, I know they have one of those, like, um, help, I don't know what they call it, where you allow them to, uh, I know, inject themselves, um, and they kind of oversee, and it's more to help you get off of drugs, even though they're allowing you to do them, but it's in a safer environment, and you're not just, like, laying on the ground with a needle in your foot, because that does happen. Um, I'm rubbing bullets belly. (laughs) Um, and you know and it's sad because like I remember I always had said like what really made me aware of like that area was like there was a guy going around killing prostitutes he did killed about 12 of them within like two weeks or so maybe a month I don't know this is years and years ago and after he did all that they were like oh we'll try to find them blah 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 you know we're after them all that mumbo jumbo then there was some white lady wandered around there and she just was in the wrong area at the wrong time and he killed her. They found him within hours. And it was like, yeah, like it really was like if you have ever guys have ever seen The Wire uh, season three, there's this area they call Hamsterdam where they were trying to clear up the drugs and the gangbanging in, in these certain areas of Baltimore. And... They figured, okay, if we, there was a certain uh, police department that was pushing these uh, drug traffickers all down into this one area, and you were allowed to sell drugs, you were allowed to, you know, prostitute, you were allowed to do a lot of different things, as long as you didn't kill and you didn't um, do anything below or uh, past this one line. And then, of course, eventually they get caught and all that, you know, spoiler alert. But the point of it was that they actually, you know, like, that's actually a real thing. Um, And that stuff happens in real life, unfortunately. Maybe not to that magnitude, but it does happen. Uh, It's really unfortunate because drugs really does uh, just completely seep into our communities and destroys a lot of people um and 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 legally and illegally you know we talk about it just how drugs are freely available for like you know prescribed medication can kill you it's not just the stuff you get off the street which is very easy to get to um some um, which is very cheap um but yeah, I don't want to talk too much. Uh, the one thing I want to do before I get out of here and get you to Jess is that we talked about the 12 steps uh, that you need to get through to help uh, battle your addiction and the 12 things that she does every day and a lot of people do. Um, we, she didn't really know... <clears throat> excuse me, guys. She didn't really know 
or she didn't remember them all, I should say. But she she does them. And I wanted to read them to you. I only knew a couple. But these are going to be the 12 in order. Let me fix my phone there. Okay. Let me get to some. Just bear with me, guys, because I'm reading this, like, with my computer zoomed in. And I'm trying to do this. So, uh, we admitted. Oh, so, step one. And it's going to say alcohol, but I'm pretty sure this is just for any addiction, but mainly drug and alcohol. Oh, look, an ad. Oh, it's not for porn. That's good. Maybe bad in some cases. All right. So here are the 12 steps as defined by Alcohol Anonymous. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is this is good for drugs as well. Okay, so step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So admitting that you have a problem. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Uh, step four, made a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves step five admitted to god to ourselves and to another human being um, the exact nature of our wrongs step six we entirely what happened there oh there we go we entirely ready to have god remove all these defects of character step seven Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct an amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, there we go. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11. Uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. All right, guys. Thank you again. And oh, sorry, guys. One more quick thing. I actually had to add this in afterwards, so I really didn't mean to end it. Then go to Jess, but um, uh, if anyone wanted to know why the audio sounds a little weird, um, like it's on speakerphone, it was on speakerphone. Um, she didn't have the app, so we just kind of uh, just jumped right into it. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast. I'm just doing this a lot later. This has a last minute, just like, oh, I don't know if I said it. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it still sounds good. Just, just sounds a little different than a lot of the other interviews just because... 
Uh, one, I wasn't in front of her. Two, I didn't get to use the app. So it was just like, hey, let me get my mic, put it in my iPad. Let me put my iPhone on speaker. Boom. We're good. And oh, look, another another pair of my Tims came and a pair of my Jordan 1s came. Oh, I know I have a problem. Yeah, the mailman just, the, the guy just pulled up with two boxes. Yay. All right, guys. Now officially to Jess. All right, guys. So this is actually literally take two of this podcast. Um, <clears throat> this is a person I've met. Uh, where do we meet? Wasn't it Facebook? Yeah. Yeah, we met on Facebook. And, you know, we've kind of become friends over a period of time. We've been getting to know each other. And she's uh, she's told me her story here and there. Um, and I've been wanting to do her, do an episode on addiction. And um, I had other ideas. But when she started to tell me her story, uh, I felt like it was important to do. And um, so we randomly today just started to talk. And we realized we kind of covered the whole story already. <laughs> But I didn't hit record because I didn't want to force her into something that she didn't want to do. So, we are just going to jump right into it now. Uh, um, so, yeah, why don't you tell me your name? My name is Jessica. Alrighty. Um, so, let's see. What should I... Okay. Okay. Um, so, what were... So, I, we're, we're talking about addiction. So, what were some of the medications or what were you into? Okay, so I, um, my drug of choice was, um, opiates. Um, I used, uh, narcotics for 12 years and I used marijuana, um, and for a few few years prior to, um, getting addicted to prescription pain medication. Um, and then I actually used, uh, THC vape hem to stop using narcotics right. to assist in getting off narcotics. Um, what was that? What was it that got you started or what made you get into it as far uh, as your opioids? So I um, used marijuana in college. Um, I had tried alcohol as a teenager, you know, one of those kids that were like, you know, sneak into your parents' liquor cabinet and fill up the bottles with water when you were done. Um, but I was never really a partier in high school. Um, so when I got to college, I was, um, went to one of the biggest party schools, probably in Nepa. Um, and it was kind of a free for all for me. I, uh, drank and smoked marijuana and then, you know, kind of didn't like the effect that alcohol had on me. Um, so my drug of choice at that time was marijuana. Um, I left school, um, to come home. Um, because I wasn't going to class and I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. So I decided to come back to my hometown. Um, and from there I actually got into, um, CNA classes. Um, and shortly thereafter I was injured on the job and I, um, was prescribed pain medication for my injury. And that's really where my addiction to narcotics, prescription narcotics started. Um, I also um, started nursing school um, and had a really difficult time retaining information. Um, so I'd gone to my family doctor and said, look, you know, I'm really having trouble focusing. I, I'm not, you know, comprehending what I'm reading. You know, I think I may have ADHD or ADD. Um, 
And so I was prescribed um, stimulants for that issue, um, which I took as prescribed regularly. And my drug addiction really didn't take off at that point. It was more of a, you know, a progressive issue for me. Um, you know, once I finished nursing school, I retained a job. And uh, I actually got hurt not even a year out of nursing school. Uh, a cart fell on me. I tried to catch it. I thought it was going to hit me, hit another resident. And I stuck my arm out. I hurt myself. Um, and that's really where my addiction kind of took off. I was still seeing the same doctor, um, but my tolerance level started to rise. And so I needed more and more pain medication as the days went on. And you were taking the pills on. for your injury. Yeah. That's okay. where it started. Yep. Right. And, uh, you know, my, my need for that drug grew, um, you know, from three pills a day to, at the very end, 12 years later, to about 15 a day, um, I had tried, um, at the very end of my addiction, I had tried uh, fentanyl. It wasn't something that I had used regularly, um, but at that point, I kind of really realized that I had an issue, um, but I wasn't willing to admit it because I'm a very stubborn person. Uh, so my addiction continued um, with the prescription narcotics, um, but I wasn't using fentanyl regularly um i had uh a, a career a house a car um my family you know I, I i wasn't you know people sometimes stereotype a drug addict you know that person underneath the bridge i wasn't one of those people i you know conducted myself in you know i, I was a functioning addict um whose drug career ended at almost 15 pills a day um, just to keep me to keep me going. Do you identify as an addict? Uh, I do identify as an addict and alcoholic. In my opinion, there is no difference. Um, I do, you know, um, I don't, yeah, there's no discrimination. There's no, uh, there's no fine line there for me. An addict and alcoholic to me is the, is the same, is the same idea. What did, uh, how did the medication make you feel when you were like in your heyday, when you were really doing it and you thought it would never really, when you were actually enjoying it, how did it make you feel? Well, that was some, some years ago. Um, I, you know, it, it helped me, it helped me be a little bit more social. Um, I'd always really been a social butterfly, but, um, it really, gave me energy. Um, I, I was not someone who took Percocet regularly. Um, I had tried it before, but I didn't like the way that it made me feel. Um, taking Norco gave, I felt gave me energy. Um, and that was, you know, like year six, but every, you know, years since then, you know, the back end of my addiction, it really didn't make me feel any better. And, you know, I was, the pain that I was experiencing was, you know, I had built up a tolerance. I, I didn't even know if that I was necessarily experiencing that type of pain or having that pain because of my use. Right. Um, so, you know, that fine, you know, there's, there was a blur there for me, um, in, in my use, you know, I went from feeling energetic and feeling good to absolutely 110% not being able to get out of, you know, being able to get out of bed, but it was the first thing I did, you know, it's not that I, 
Um, I couldn't go without it, but I, um, yeah, I, I couldn't go without it. I had to have it every every day. It was the first thing I did when I woke up in the morning. What was the average you took? <clears throat> uh, I uh, it so progressively got worse. Um, I was prescribed three a day, and at the very tail end, um, just about a year ago, I was taking almost. I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 15 a day. 15 might be a little bit of a stretch, but it's better to be honest. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's a lot of pills. Um, yeah. What was your, what was like your darkest point? Um, so I had, uh, I had really gone through a lot of trauma uh, in a very short period of time. Um, I had lost, uh, two father figures uh one of them was suddenly and the other one i had helped take care of for almost seven months who was my uh, mom's third husband he was diagnosed with colon cancer and had lived for about 10 years with the disease and at his very tail end um he wanted to die at home so my mom came brought him home from the hospital and we decided to take care of him here um and this was about i want to say a year before i stopped using um you know, my, in my, I took care of him throughout my active addiction. Um, and in the very tail end of it, I had lost a relationship. Um, I was, I had lost my job, um, through some of these traumatic events. I had a long-term relationship that I, you know, we decided to end. Um, he was really the only person in my life that really knew how bad my use was and was the only person who would tell me that things needed to change, but I couldn't understand that because I was stubborn and everybody else was the problem and I was not. Um, so I'd have to say my darkest moment was probably um, the loss of my last job. I was using a date pen with THC to help me sleep because I was so overwhelmed by all the loss. I don't think I had grieved it properly. Um, my relationship was a wreck. You know, even though my, you know, I was close with my family, you know, things still weren't right. My house just wasn't in order. My life was very unmanageable, and I didn't understand that. Um, so it was really after the loss of my job and all these traumatic events that had taken place that really made me realize that I needed to make a change. Um, I couldn't really pinpoint exactly the specific day or specific experience that helped me realize that I needed to make this change. Um, Do you want to say what you did? For your profession? Uh, I'm a nurse. Okay. I'm a nurse. Um, You're still I, a nurse? Yes, yes, I am. I am. Thank with the help of God, by the grace of God, I am still a nurse today. Um, you know, I thought I needed some time off. Um, and, you know, although I had lost my job and that may have been my rock bottom for me, it was a God moment. I, you know, something in my life needed to drastically change and I didn't know how to do that. Um, and so I took the time off. I had had some money, even though I spent that money very quickly um, through my addiction and in and, and helping others and giving money away. I was able to take this time off and I just, you know, had the opportunity to spend time with myself and reevaluating my life um music and physical exercise was a huge part of the very early months of my sobriety i spent more time outside cutting grass and listening to music than i think i ever had in my whole entire life um 
you know, I was, uh, I was very fortunate in the way that I was able to start my recovery. I did not, um, I did not go to rehab. Um, again, I was someone who was very stubborn. You know, I didn't think I had a problem. I thought everybody else was the problem. Um, and you know, so for me, I really had to, you know, I felt like I was responsible for the mess of my life that I had created. And I was the one who was going to be responsible to clean it up, you know? Um, and although, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change it. Um, you know, but I also work very hard, uh, in working a program currently to make sure that, you know, I continue down the right path. Although I feel like my spiritual experience already happened prior to me getting into a program. I, you know, sought out those things myself because I was so stubborn. I wanted to um, find my own way out of my own mess, um, and that's not easy to do. Um, I did meet someone who was in recovery themselves and, you know, took myself out of the people, places, and things that I had had and, you know, began to change my life. Um, I kept very physically active. I took the suggestion off of everybody, which um, I will say probably one of the, um, I don't want to say regrets because I really don't have any regrets, but one of the things that I probably didn't retain from going to a rehab was learning how to take suggestion. Um, so I took this, I was so suggestive and so suggestive in the first early months of my sobriety that I took the suggestion off of almost anything. Um, from exercise to career um but i kept feeling like i was going down the right path um uh, now go ahead i changed my specialty of nursing i started working in home health with a 15 year old boy who had cerebral palsy and for me during my early months of sobriety this was probably one of the best experiences that i've ever had he was blind and deaf um, and loved music. Uh, we definitely enjoyed our time together. Uh, for me, it was the place that I felt I needed to be in. Even though the work was difficult, it was a change for me. It was me getting comfortable being uncomfortable in a setting that I had never worked in before. How did you communicate with him? He could hear, um, okay. even though he was deemed deaf, but you just have to speak really closely to him. Okay. Um, and he would lead you around by hand. Right. Uh, when he wanted something, he would come to you and bring you to the object that he wanted to try and show you what it was that he needed. Right. Was he completely blind? Yes. Okay. But not completely deaf. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Um, after that, uh, I was actually um, hurt on the job, which for me was another life experience history repeating itself. I had gone to workers' compensation, and it was during this time that I felt like I had another God moment. I could either go into this and say, yeah, I really hurt myself, or I could you know, tell them that I was in active recovery, and that's exactly what I wrote on the paper. Um, and that moved me into another area of home health where ironically enough I had met a woman that I used to take care of in another facility that I used to work at um, and she was in recovery herself and again for me it was another God moment I was honest with the employer that I worked with at the time to tell them that I was in active recovery 
which was very important for me to keep me honest and accountable for myself at that time. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, my schedule just didn't pan out the way that I was hoping it would, um, and I really wanted a full-time position, so I sought employment elsewhere. Um, I was also able to be honest with that employer to let them know, you know, hey, look, I'm in recovery. Um, and again, you know, it's it's for me, it was all about the experience. It was it was a choice, right? Everything in life is a choice. Mm-hmm. So I could either choose to be honest with these people and tell them straight up and down where I was at in my life, and they were either going to accept it for what it was or they weren't. Um, and for me, you know, I I believe in God. Um, you know, the program that I work, you know, offers a higher power. Um, and I was raised Catholic, so, you know, being honest just keeps me accountable. Um, you know, it was during, it was actually during COVID that I um, had the opportunity to have the person that I was in a relationship with print out the steps for me. Um, I hadn't sought out uh, a program of any kind. Um, I was really just kind of winging it. Um, and after I had asked him to print the steps for me the second time he did, I was very fortunate enough to be able to sit down and work these steps willingly. I had, I knew I had to have the willingness and the honesty to sit down and seriously examine my life. Uh, from, Do you want to say anything about the relationship you were in? Cause you were told me, you don't have to mention names or anything, but, um, the toxic relationship and, you know, basically the enabling, cause you said you both were addicts, right? So that was the, I was in a 10 year relationship, um, prior to this last current relationship. Um, and he and I were both addicts. We were together for 10 long years. Um, and we just, at the very tail end, we, we just weren't right for each other. Um, as hard as that is to think about when you're with somebody for a really long time, it's, it's really, I've learned about self. If you're not comfortable with yourself, um, if you don't, um, again, my, my house wasn't in order, so my priorities weren't right. I was putting, you know, things ahead of myself, you know, instead of taking care of myself, I was slowly killing myself, um, because I wanted to be and do for everyone else in my life that I forgot about myself, that love of caring for others, you know, superseded me taking care of myself I thought I had to be there for everyone and everything in my life and at the very tail end you know he and I were both unfaithful and we just we just needed to clip ties um you know in working in amends to that I have peace with that today nobody is perfect and nobody lives a perfect life uh you know and being able to examine that and take a step back out of yourself is you know part of humility for me, you know, admitting your wrongs, promptly admitting your wrongs and making amends. Um, you know, you don't ever want to injure somebody else in making those amends, but it's, it's in, you know, an amends process isn't for someone else. It's for you to find peace within yourself. Um, and being able to do that is very important. I have found in working in a recovery program, my last current relationship, which was about a year long, 
uh, was the person that I had met who was working, uh, living in a sober house and working a program of his own. He was the one who was willing to print out the steps for me um, because I had asked him to. I was interested. You know, in working a program, it's not about promotion. It's a, it's about attraction. I was attracted to what he had in his life, and it, and it wasn't much. Um, you know, but his his demeanor, his outlook on life was, I, I wanted that, um, you know, and I was willing myself to take those necessary steps, those doors that God had opened for me and walk through them, you know, as hard and as painful and as fearful as I may have been being comfortable with the uncomfortable was very important for me because, you know, hiding my addiction was something I was really good at. You know, people, my family looked at me and they were like, you're in recovery. You know, they, they didn't understand what was going on. And I was, you know, thinking that they were going to, you know, send me to, you know, the hospital because I was not acting like myself. I was, you know, always on the go, constantly listening to music, but I was really doing a ton of soul searching and a ton of writing and a ton of the things that I forgot made me feel good. You know, I didn't need a drug or an al- or alcohol to do that. Um, and, and that's really hard to find sometimes for some people. Just getting honest with yourself can be difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the more honest I was with myself, the more willing I was to be honest with other people in my life, especially those that I love most. You know, they, they deserve that. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, before you were got into your addiction, like, how many people stuck with you through through it until now? Did you lose a lot of people? So I, I will say this. Um, when they say change people, places, and things, that shit is real. I didn't leave my hometown. I That was one thing I was really hell-bent on. I wanted to stay near my family. Um, although my family suffers from addictions on both sides, you know, I, my love of my family, you know, I was able to build a boundary to that. I was able to say, you know, okay, I have a solution to this problem. If I don't want to be at my parents' house because, you know, they're getting rowdy or, you know, if they were ever to step to me and say, hey, you want to drink, you know, there's respect there. There's an understanding. There's a boundary that I never had. And for me, not leaving my hometown helped me develop the boundary with my family which is so important for a lot of addicts you know we want to be there for our you know the people that we love and our families and we and we want to be everything we can to them but we also you know we forget about ourselves we have to be those things for ourselves first mm-hmm. um and i was able to learn how to do that um it took a lot of hard work and a lot of reminding myself that no when you're uncomfortable or when you're presented with a situation that makes you uncomfortable, you have a solution today because you work a program to say, I can do X, Y, or Z, and that will take me from an uncomfortable situation that I shouldn't be in. Um, and, th- and that goes for everything in my life. A, a lot of people, um, you know, I, I kind of just cut off. Uh, I have developed you know renewed relationships with certain girlfriends you know and and gotten honest with them and it's really good to have those people in my life but there are certain people in my life that I just cannot have any communication with because 
it's too close, you know, and, and if I'm not mindful of that, those yets can be on me just like that. And I will be, you know, in worse shape than I was when I, you know, right at the end of my addiction. Um, so, of, you know, my family, uh, I make a living amends to them every single day. You know, every day that I'm clean, I make a living amends to myself first you know, and then to my family. So I'm, I'm there present and in the moment, which is so important. I, I can't even explain that feeling. Um, but I know that they see it and that means the world to me because I want to be there for them. You know, my, my sister's been going through a lot and I'm able to be there for her with a clear head and, and help just, be that person that she can lean on because I've already put myself first, you know, and can be there for others. Do you, uh, do you believe in the saying that they use, um, once an addict, always an addict? I do. Yeah, I I absolutely do. It's, it's a daily reprieve for me. It's something that I have to work at every day. And I feel like in my experience, you know, getting into the program the way that I did, help me realize just how precious it is um i don't go there because i have to be there i don't go there because i was mandated to be there i go there because i can relate to those people i can i can i can appreciate where they're coming from and their stories have such a profound influence in my life that i i want to be there i don't have to be there i don't have to go there i don't have to be a part of service or a part of you know working a program but I enjoy relating to people who can relate to me I know I'm not alone and that is one of the most important things for me is to know that I can meet people and know that while they may not have shared the exact same experience I did they can relate to me and I can relate to them and that has helped me more than anything Um, you know my renewed faith you know, I'm a Catholic. My renewed faith in God has helped me. I have become part of a church that I have such a fond, fond relationship with that I, I just, the feeling I get when I'm there, now that I'm able to go back to church, which is, I'll just say, it's the third Sunday I've been able to go there, which is phenomenal. Um, I was able to watch it online and it just had such a real a rawness to it that you know I can only say that I'm blessed enough to be able to hear it and feel it that way Um, because you know working through your emotions and having those feelings and dealing with them clean can be really difficult Um, but the I can't help but feel like by the grace of God, I, I'm I'm lucky enough to do that today. Right. Now you said something. Did you, so you never went to a rehab? I did not. So what? How is it that you absolutely just said screw it? Like you got clean. Like how did you actually accomplish it? I just threw them away. It was. I just. I just did one day and working a program has made me realize that that was an spiritual experience in itself. Um, I addiction is a disease. It's a, it's a thinking problem. You know, you can free yourself, you know, chemically from the drug, but it's, it's maintaining a certain 
way of life. It's maintaining, you know, order in your house. And my house isn't in order unless I do very simple things, such as working a program, going through the steps, holding myself accountable for myself and with another person. Um, was it you rock know, bottom it, that made you realize, like your your bottom? Did you was that what made you realize like you need to actually change the things in your metaphorical house? I, I do. I I think that you know I reached a certain like said a certain level of rock bottom that I knew something had to change because I didn't realize how unmanageable my life had become, uh, and that I was the one creating the unmanageability, and that you know using drugs wasn't wasn't the answer wasn't going to help me change my life and so I just what was your final straw I mean you said a bunch of things that kind of that accumulated but yeah what was your last straw I mean it really was like I it was really a culmination of those things I had gotten into a job where I was excuse me um I was a telemed nurse and I just went into the woman's office and I was like, look, this just isn't for me. Like I, I can't do this. I need souls. I need faces. I need, I need human interaction. Just talking to somebody on the phone isn't my idea of, you know, it's just not the correct type of nursing for me. And I was totally honest with her. I was like, I need, I need to go walk my dog. Like I needed a break. I, I was burnt out, you know, all of these traumatic things had happened and I did lose my you know the prior job to that where I was working in an office um it, it just I would say that that was probably right around the time that I was you know hitting rock bottom but I didn't know it until I just threw them away one day I, I can't really explain that part oh it you're just good kind of happened did you me. so you went through the 12 steps I have you don't, I, mean, I think we talked, you said you don't really remember them all, but you definitely went through them all? Oh, yep. I absolutely have gone through every single one of them. Is there one more important than any of them? They are all very important and interrelatable. Right, okay. And you work, you work 10 through, you work them every day. They're, you know, an integral part of your life. If you can integrate those steps into your life, um, it's, it helps you live an orderly life. No, it helps right. you have a solution. Is the first step, you know, is that, I believe, isn't it admitting that you actually have a problem? Or is that? Correct. Right. Okay, that's what I thought. Admitting to God and to yourself that you have a problem, yeah. What's the final step? Uh, it is, I'm not going to get it completely correct, but it is, uh, carrying these steps in all of our affairs I'm really I mean honestly like I know I'm an addict because I can't remember the word for word <laughs> um, let's see yeah can't remember the word for word no you're good doesn't matter as long as I mean as long as you got the sentiment and majority of it um, so you still use those you apply them every day every single day I take inventory of myself. I write out, you know, if I have a resentment, I stop whatever I'm doing and I write that sucker out because resentments is having resentments is the biggest killer of them all. 
Um, you know, so sometimes even if, even just the small, most insignificant thing, if it's playing on my brain, I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down and examining it. How can I examine this differently? How can I look at myself differently? How can I, what can I learn from this? Why, why am I feeling this way? You know, your, your emotions play such a huge part in your life that for me, I had to not you know, wall off my emotions, but I had to learn to not allow my emotions to trigger an action. Because if you do, those actions can be detrimental to your life. And, you know, these steps, while they're suggestions, are help you help you navigate something such as a resentment. It helps you, it's a pattern to live your life by, um, and I choose to do that on, on the regular. Um, I also pray every morning and every single night of every day, uh, and sometimes I pray all day long because it's, it's, it helps me relax. If I'm feeling overwhelmed, I take a step back and I say to myself, okay, self, what's going on here, you know? Life is chaotic. Life is stressful. And if you, you know, from in my experience, having these tools has helped me deal with my anxieties of everyday living or, you know, on the days where I'm feeling depressed, it, 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 it just helps me examine those emotions and that anxiety, you know, why am I having it? And it's usually, it's usually an issue itself. It's, you know, whether it be I'm feeling anxious because I'm scared or I'm just, you know, sometimes you're just feeling anxious. And for me, I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's an egotic problem. I'm, I'm having a problem with self. So in order to get out of that, I call a friend, right. you know, we go and have coffee or, you know, I, call somebody up and, you know, check on them and see how their day is going, get out of myself. And, and, and it makes me feel better. Um, you know, going to church services or, you know, helping, helping, uh, a church is very beneficial. Uh, you know, and again, these aren't things to live by these, this is all suggestion. Um, you know, but it truly has made a huge difference in my life. Um, mm-hmm. but it's something that I work at every single day. It's, it's, it's never, you know, my illness is never not with me. It's always with me, and, and it's a constant, it, it takes constant, continuous, you know, they say progress, not perfection. Right. Um, and that's super important, you know. You got to take it easy on yourself, but you have to be mindful. Um, what was your, those, what was the closest time to you, or was there, but if there was, what was the closest time that you came to, I guess, relapsing? Um, so I found a pill in my car. Actually, before that, I had found several pills left in my wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I threw them away. I didn't, I didn't have the desire to use them. Um, I, same, th- and, and for me, those are God moments. This is God saying, hey, you have a choice here. What are you going to do about it? You know, I found a pill underneath the seat of my car. And again, for me, it's a God moment. Here's your choice. 
what are you going to do with it? You know, every day you wake up with a choice and not every day is easy. You know, life is not easy. I, you know, life is just not easy. There were so many things that I could have accomplished by now, but I, today I'm happy with who I am. And that is, is huge. And, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to be perfect. I just, I want to be content and peaceful in my life and, you know, mm-hmm. working the 12 steps has helped me find that. What is, so what's your, what's your outlook on life now after getting through what you got through? Um, I actually thought it was going back to get my RN. Um, but it's not, I, you know, I, I'm very blessed to have the job that I have now, like I said, and I, you know, I'm, I'm helping a business grow and, um, you know, I don't need to be in the driver's seat for that portion of my life. And the reason I laugh is because as an addict, you always want to be in the driver's seat in every aspect of your life. You know, I, I want to explore other things. I want to do things like this. I want to help other people in a different manner. It doesn't just have to be medically. I can, you know, help people, you know, just by telling my story and, and, and letting them hear, you know, that they're not alone. And that's to me, you know, more important than any job, career, house, car, money could buy. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I have aspirations and goals and things like that, but I, you know, this is really, you know, what's important in my life right now. Um, and those other goals and, you know, like I'd love to buy a house, you know, that house that I grew up in, but it, it's, it takes time. There's a process. And right. as long as I keep at it, you know, with the hope of God, you know, I'll be able to achieve that goal. But right now it's those small, you know, what people may feel is a mundane thing, such as something like this, that, that is really, you know, a goal that I, that I have. How long did your addiction last? 12 years. Wow. Okay. 12 years. Yeah. Um, do you have a, do you have a sponsor? I do. Um, how long do you, how long have you had him or her? Several months. Yeah, I was uh, really quick to, you know, once I walked into my first meeting, actually the the first person I met was a nurse, (laughs) Um, which is a a good thing, you know, because we share common common ground there, you know, amongst other common ground. Um, And, you know, we kind of hit it off right off the bat, but I, it was something I had to seek out on my own. It, It takes work, you know, and if, if you meet someone who, you know, you, aspire to have you know you want what they have so to speak you have to go after it you know people aren't going to seek you out it's a it's a program of attraction of attraction rather than promotion you know you have to be willing to put in the work and it's not easy I was scared to death to be like hey you want to go for a walk you know but it was one of the best things I could have done for myself because she has so much wisdom and experience to offer as a lot of women do and the men uh, but you know I have a sisterhood like no other right and do I'm you, very fortunate for that do you think that's more common as far as nurses uh, becoming addicted because my mom's a nurse and you know she hasn't succumbed to addiction or desire to want to take medication or whatever but 
I mean, obviously the crazy hours they work, um, regardless of what type of nurse they do. Um, but they, the profession they do is very strenuous, and especially now. Um, but do you, do you think it's more common than most people realize as far as nurses uh, succumbing to addiction? Um, honestly, addiction doesn't discriminate. Um, I, I don't know what the numbers are. I would say, you know, the ease of access maybe to having the ability, you know, but as far as, you know, to obtain a drug, you know, I really can't comment on that. To me, addiction doesn't discriminate. I know people who, you know, are very fortunate and well off and don't work in the medical fields who, you know, have had, you know, Right. I just more stories, nothing close to mine. Right. I don't, I don't mean, yeah, I don't mean as far as like more than anyone else. I just mean, I don't think people realize that there are more nurses or doctors or whatever people who are in that field actually because of everything they go through, their lives and so on and so on. I don't think people realize there is more because I've heard plenty of stories of that, uh, you know, where my mom works or just other nurses, whatever. Like there's a lot of people that end up, uh, unfortunately, getting into that because of everything they're going through and what they're doing as a profession um but yeah no, i don't mean as far as um like more than any random person or whatever of course addiction hits everyone but i don't think people i don't think people really actually think about like oh yeah nurses can be addicted too like um, yeah no i mean you're not wrong it is very common you know nurse burnout is huge um and you know unfortunately sometimes those are the things that you know get resorted to not for everyone um but nurse burnout and physician burnout it's a real thing um right. and you know, it's it's really taxing on someone's mental health when they, especially nowadays working in the medical field, you know, they, they go, so much is expected of them, you know, because they are medical professionals, you know, we don't always have the answers and, you know, we are, we are human. Well, like my mom, she's an ER nurse and like she's, she's pulled out her back a few times and so on. It's like, how do you, and they, they don't, it's not like they really give them all that much time off. And when they actually do get time off, it's like, you know, they have to use it the best ability they can, but, um, you know, a lot of times they, even if it's, you know, legal prescript, prescribed medication, they're still taking medication for pain and so on. Um, and I think a lot of times people just, especially, you know, with the pandemic and everything we're going through, people just kind of forget, like, they're people and they actually go through these, you know, they actually put in a lot of work beyond just, oh, I'm putting a needle or, you know, an IV in your arm or, or whatever. Um, or changing a bedpan or whatever they just like oh that's what nurses do but it's like the reality of nurses especially they do i mean not the crap on doctors but they do a lot more of the harder work as far as like the in and in and out um making sure a patient is good um and it, it's it's crazy how easy like the medication is just right there i mean i know they're you know they have a lot more systems now or um like especially in the computer you can check what medications are what and, and all that but um, I mean, it's, I guess it's much easier to get caught, but, you know, especially when you're an addict, I don't, you, you take those kind of risks anyway, um, regardless of what the system is or not. Um, but yeah, no, I find it very fascinating that, you know, like I said, it's just, we kind of forget about the people that really take care of us, um, just because they're not related to us. But in reality, you know, nurses are just as important as anyone else's, um, if not more so, uh, nurses and doctors, um. And it, it's crazy how easy medication is just at free will access to them. It's like, here you go. Obviously, you shouldn't do it, but it's the temptation is obviously there, especially if you're, you know, you have pulled back or God knows whatever problem you have. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a, a fine line. Um, and for me, you know, I thank God I, I don't have to worry about that. I work in a setting where, you know, that's, you know, I, that temptation isn't there. Um, and my, my will to use is no longer there. Um, but there's always yets, and that's why I work a program. Um, a lot, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really realize how important working a program was. Um, I thought I could do it on sheer willpower because I was, you know, can be a very stubborn individual. Um, but you know, I, I'm definitely blessed and have met some wonderful people, medical professionals and all, you know, who are, you know, they're good people. They're human. They, they go through things. They, you know, their life experiences, you know, we experience PTSD just like anybody else. Um, and sometimes it can be a little bit more traumatic, you know, especially, you know, if you are a surgeon or, you know, working as an ER nurse, you know, those things really take a toll on your mental state. And I don't, you know, I don't know that I, because I never put myself first that I really ever thought about it like that. You know, I just wanted to be there and do the right thing for my patients and take care of them and help their families. And, you know, I put myself last and today I can confidently say, because I work a program, I'm able to put myself first. And, and because I work a program, I can confidently say that my patients have helped me more than, than they even know, you know, um, I don't go into work every single day like, you know, I'm I'm in rec- you know I'm in recovery. I don't talk about it. It's just the experience. It's it's things that I hear. It's I'm more I'm more open minded, um, and you know I just have a very different outlook on life, um, and I'm very lucky and blessed to be able to say that today. Did you have a stigma attached to you for doing what you did as far as getting fired and taking meds and all that like? I mean, obviously the profession, you know, a lot of people try to pretend like they're not professional and, you know, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, everybody come, you know, like I said, we, we all have our desires and so on. When you when that happened to you and you got caught, did, was there something, you know, like a label put on you as far as, you know, should we hire this girl again? And, and you know, you know, shit like that. Honestly, I think and this is the God's honest truth. I really think that even when I was using, I was one of those people who did not appreciate the stigma attached to addiction. Um, even even when I was in denial of the fact that I had my own issues, um, you know, it, it, I've known, you know, I've known addicts my whole life. Um, and so for me, you know, my so my thought process, you know, was always that fear of oh, what's somebody gonna think about me? What's somebody gonna think about me? And today, Honestly, I don't give a shit. I really don't. As long as I'm able to speak my truth and be comfortable within myself and know that I'm doing the right thing for myself, it doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion is of me. It doesn't matter, you know, as a medical professional, as long as I'm upholding my truth and doing the right thing by my patients and by myself, especially, you know, an aspect of the medical profession, I don't have anything to worry about. I don't walk around in fear of what someone's going to think about me or say to me or about me to someone else, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, that's a confidence and a self-esteem thing that I feel like I've always lacked 
Um, I was always worried about what other people were going to think about me. And today I don't have that worry um, because I, I work a 12 step program and I have faith in a higher power. And as long as I'm right there, you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about what other people say or think about me. And, you know, in to me, you, you don't like it, don't look at it, but be respectful of it because you never know what somebody else is going through. And, you know, the people who aren't respectful, I, I, I don't, I don't pay any mind to it's their opinion. It's it's not gospel. But I mean, oh no, I mean that that's great. I didn't mean as far as your part of it. But I mean, was it hard for you to get become a nurse again? Because I mean, not not that you needed to go to, back to school, but I mean, did you did lose your job, right? I lost my job. I didn't lose my license. License, right? So then, but I mean, when when you went back to whatever another hospital, was that stigma attached to you as far as like, oh no, should we hire the nurse that you know likes to play with the medication? Um, so they didn't know, um, and actually some people would probably suggest that you don't, you aren't open with them, with your employer about your recovery unless you feel comfortable with it. Right. Um, so did I tell them right off the bat that I was in recovery? I don't think it was like right off the cuff that I told them, but I did eventually tell them, look, you know, I've gone through some things, especially with the nursing manager. And for me, truly, the more honest I was about it, the more accepting they were about it. I mean, nobody said anything rudely to me. Um, I did apply for a job. Um, so during the current position, with the current position that I have, I was applying for another job um, in seek of employment. And I was able to get the job and went for the interview and everything was great and everything was a go. And one day I took a step back and I was like, you know what? I can't do this right now. My recovery has to come first. My sobriety has to come first, and the, and the current position that I'm in is the place I need to be. Um, so I actually wrote them an email, and I said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry. You know, again, promptly admit you're wrong. I'm very sorry, but I'm in recovery, and right now that needs to come first. Um, so, you know, did do people know I'm an addict? Yeah, sure. They know my full name. They know my history. They know I'm a nurse. Yeah, they, they may carry that stigma towards me, but I... I don't, and any any place that I've sought employment has been respectful about my honesty, um, that's and, and that's huge. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You can't really find that many places, because usually once so. usually when something's attached to you, it's pretty much there forever, and it affects every part of your life, and especially when it comes to employment. Um, everybody's so picky on who they're gonna hire and what their background is. I mean, there's a lot of jobs now that are you know making sure you give them your facebook so they can see even if you posted anything that could be interpreted as insensitive or anything like that so the fact that you actually were able to keep your job or you know get you know basically keep the profession that you wanted to that you went to school and put all that hard work in for um and the fact that you know it's not following you for the most part wherever you go even though you know technically it does but at least not in your profession <clears throat> Which is good. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't see, a, you know, the term, hi, my name is Jessica, I'm an addict, as a shadow. I see it as as a truth. And and for me, that's huge. Because right. I was always like, no, not me. Yeah. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, when I told my family, they were like, what? You know, like, they... they 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 had they knew I saw a pain manager specialist. They knew I you know was on medication, but they didn't know the truth. They didn't 
you know, and, and they still don't know to the extent, you know, and people that didn't know were like, huh? huh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's super easy to, it's super easy to conceal that most honest thing that you need to have, that you need to talk about, that you need to, that you need to live, you know, and, and, and it's, and not everybody is like that. And that's okay. Recovery isn't, it is what, is what you make it. It's, it's your experience. It's your experience, strength and hope. It's not, okay, what should it exactly be? Because let's face it, addicts, we're perfectionists, we're obsessed, we're, you know, we have all these, these emotions and thoughts and, and, you know, perceptions of the way things are supposed to be. But it, as long as it works for that person, and it, you feel good about it, that's, that's important. As long as you can have that honesty and, and feel good and, and work your program the way you've, feel it should be worked um you know that's that's really important now for me again i I, you know i have to work a a specific program it's important to me it's become important to me because i put in that work um to to what worked for me if that makes sense um but you know there's several ways to go about recovery you know and several different programs and there's so much unsought help out there, you know, and, and right. you know, people sh- need to know that it's, it's not a, you know, end all be all because there's options. Do you think you did like in your head, do you thought, did you, oh, excuse me, I can't speak. Do you think uh, you hit it well? Or did you think it was pretty obvious that you had a problem even though other people didn't? Um, do I think certain people, may have thought that there was something going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't, I I don't really know, to be honest with you. Uh I mean, I knew, I knew what I was doing wasn't right. I knew, you know, let's face it. I carry a rosary in the same pocket that I used to carry my pills. You know, I had a problem. Right. And it's, I, you know, like when I, like when, when you were doing it, like, did you think people knew? Or do you think you actually hit it as well as it actually came off? Because some people actually think, like, people know, but they don't. And then some people actually, yeah, like, some people think, like, oh, no one knows. And then they actually do. Um, but, like, in your case, like, people actually didn't know. But, did like, deep down, did you think people were watching you and looking at you and thinking, like, oh, she has a problem? I mean, I really didn't. Okay. Um, you know... But when I, you know, when I told certain people, and I only chuckled because these people are close to me, when I told, and not family related, when I told certain people that I was in recovery, they were like, oh, now it makes sense. You know, like, so did I really think that people knew that I was abusing drugs? No. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know. No, that's good. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I have one more question, and then you can go say everything else you want to say um so what what does addiction mean to you it's to me it's a thinking disease you could be addicted to anything um doesn't necessarily have to be drugs and alcohol um you know i'm a nurse but my expertise on addiction is very limited 
And one of those reasons is probably because I didn't go to rehab, but I learn every single day something new about addiction. Um, I have learned that, you know, it's an allergy. It's an allergy of your mind, body, and soul. It's, it's, it's a thinking problem. You can be chemically free of a drug, but still have thoughts. And, you know, they talk about yes, (laughs) you know, it's, I, I can be, if I'm not reminded of where I came from, you know, regularly, I can be back in that place or worse off, as they say, in no time, in a second, if I'm not mindful and aware of, you know, where my thoughts are, where my head's at, or if I'm having a problem, um, you know, that's why there's a network of people who you, you know, you seek out to be, help you be accountable for yourself. Um, it's, you know, it's a real disease. It, it's, oh, it, it's a it's a disease that doesn't get enough attention um, or, you know, people place stigma behind it. But to me, addiction can be seen in any aspect of any person's life. It doesn't just have to be drug related. Um, but when it is drug and alcohol related, you know, there's help out there for people like me who needed it and didn't realize it. Um, you know, you just have to have that willingness to come forward and be honest with yourself and say, yeah, I, I think I have a problem, you know, and I, I was so very hard. It was so very hard for me to get honest with myself because that would mean that people knew my most intimate problem, you know, little did I know that that was, you know, that was just a mask, man. Yeah. You know, it's so much more deeper than a chemical problem. We all hide behind something one way or another at some point in our life. Uh, and, you know, we all have our find. We all find something that kind of makes us. I don't know. Well, we feel just invincible sometimes. Sometimes it's just we hide behind this mask, and it just keeps us keeps the world from really knowing who we are. But eventually, you have to realize like you're living with it, and you know. And then eventually, it affects enough of your life to the point where it's like, wow, like you got to make some changes because. Um, like how how do you like how do you think it uh, affected as far as like mental health wise like do did you like psychologically how much damage did it do? Um, I definitely, I I have to say, um, I returned to the same specialty that I used to work in, um, and I, I thank God for that every single day. I enjoy it, um, you know. But I, for me, you know it was like relearning that specialty all over again. You know, it takes time for your brain to heal. You know, it's not something that's just going to happen overnight. And it's a daily, it's a daily struggle. You know, you have to, you're not going to remember everything. You're not going to, you know, you need to make sure that you're asking for help and, you know, relying on others, you know, especially working in the medical profession, you know, um, again, I'm very fortunate to work where I work because I, I have a network of people that I can rely on that know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recovering. My brain is healing my, you know, it's going to take, I'm not going to remember everything. And I was always that person that was like perfectionist. Like I had to know it and this was it. And, you know, life is not like that. You know, people in my experience, you know, we, we're human 
you know, we make right. mistakes and it's going to take time for my brain to heal from all the damage that I've done to it. Um, you know, my body's going to take time to heal. Uh, but as long as I'm taking care of myself and doing the right thing, the rest will come, you know, and, and it's some days it's frustrating. You know, those are the days that I do try harder. Um, you know, there were days that I didn't, you know, in the very early months of my sobriety that I was like, Oh, I don't want to get out of bed today, but I did, you know, even if I didn't do much, you know, because I wasn't working at the time, whatever the case may be, i I found ways to keep myself active or, you know, reach out to my family because I wasn't, you know, working a program. Um, but now that I, you know, work a program, I have no problem picking up the phone and being like, yo, you want to go for a walk? You know, cause, or you have a minute to talk um, just because I'm, I'm feeling some type of way. And sometimes you don't even know what that type of way is until you talk to somebody else, you know, get their perspective on it or hear their story or get out of yourself. And then you're like, oh, that's why I was feeling that way. And it's usually... You know, emotions pass, feelings pass. It's your brain, you know, I, I try to feed myself with positivity because all the negative thinking and the negative, you know, self-talk, all, all that shit was bad for me, you know? And I, so I tried to fill my Facebook with positive feeds and, you know, my Instagram, nothing but positivity, you know, firm believer in God. So I try to fill it with that. I'm not trying to necessarily fill a void, but, you know, um, I just, it's, it's important for me to fill my life with positivity and music has definitely helped me with that as well. Um, you know, I can relate to a lot of songs and sometimes it's just about, it's just something as simple as that. Something as simple as turning on the radio can change your whole mentality, you know? So it's, it, life is up and down. And so obviously, you know, there are days that I'm going to be up and down. It's it's how I choose to go about those ups and downs that helps me keep an even balance. Now, are you like, do you believe you did it the right way as far as not going to rehab, or do you feel like it was the best way just for you? I have to. I can only speak from my experience um, and say that the way that it happened for me, I'm blessed. There's no right or wrong way to go about recovery. People need rehab. People should seek out therapy. People, you know, it, it's what's best for the individual. You know, there are people who, you know, find God and never look back. But it's not like that for everyone. I have a friend who said the same thing to me. You know, she moved away. She started a whole new life and never looked back. Someone like me, though... It didn't go that way. I, I need, I need a program. I, it helps me be accountable. It provides me with a network of people to build a foundation. If I ever do have a problem, you know, or go through something really traumatic again, that I have these people who are there. Um, you know, and that's not to say that other people don't find those things. They just find it in a different way. It's whatever works best for the individual. I am not against rehab. I've been to them, and the people that are there are inspiring. Um, as long as you're reaching out and saying you need help, that's what matters. It's it's not about how you get it. It's, you know, there are people in rehabs who are there to help you. They're not trying to hurt you. They just want to see you do what works for you. So I can only speak when I, you know, from my own experience and say that it just kind of happened for me. Who knows? You know, 
Right. It's it's very individual based. It's there's no right or wrong way to go about it. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I ran out of questions. So, uh, is there anything else? <clears throat> excuse me. Is there anything else you would like to say? Just reach out, stay honest, you know, and know that there's help out there, and that we're all human, and we all put our pants on one leg at a time. And you know, I there's this one. Uh, quote from Gandhi be the change you wish to see in the world you know I, I feel like everybody deserves a little bit of that hope yeah absolutely so. well I thank you for doing this no problem at all it's my pleasure yeah you were awesome um, like I said it'll go up in not this coming Wednesday but the following one um, I'll, get, you know, I'll send you the link whether you listen or not is okay because I get it I don't want to hear my voice either um, but yeah no thank you again for doing it and uh like I said, thanks. This was good. Something new.